Well, good morning. Good morning. I just came in. I'm Chuck Anderson, and uh, we uh, stay with Grandma Judy when we come out here. <laughs> and I just told her this morning. Grandma Judy. Oh yeah, I got to turn this thing on. Um, and we'll have to do something on some of those. Ones. I told Grandma Judy this morning. She provides good fellowship, wonderful bed, great breakfast, a little bit of gas. You'll never get rid of us that way. <laughs> We're going to just keep on coming. I think most of you have met our son, Jeff, some time ago. And uh, he was here and he said, man, that's a cool place. I love going out there. Jeff is the kid that's six foot six and preaches, preaches up a storm. I said to him, well, that's the end of our going out there. I don't expect we'll ever get invited again. But here we are, and we thank you. It's just good to be here. Um, I'll forget if I don't do this right away. Um, there are some videos back on the table back there. One of them is called, uh, is Coronavirus, a Judgment of God. I don't believe it is. It's a man-made thing, apparently, you know. But anyway, that's back there. And then we have two for kids. One of them is about dinosaurs, called Backyard uh, Camp 2020. That's a little bit older, but there's some back there. And the newer one for kids is, have you ever wanted to disappear? You know, when the teacher calls on you, or whatever, maybe you, you want to disappear. But they're back there. And um, also, I didn't get anything printed up that special, but uh, we put out a, uh, we put out, a number of video, videos, articles, and updates on the ministry. And if it's okay, if you would like us to uh, include you to our, our email uh, address, uh, um, just pass that around, and, and we'd be glad to, to send you some updates. Um, as I get started this morning, don't throw me out on my ear, uh, but you're going to wonder. I've learned that you can't believe everything you read in your Bible. Now you say, what in the world's that all about? You remember a guy by the name of Job. And uh, of course, Job lost everything he had. All of his cattle had ten children. They were taken. Uh, he, he was filled with trouble. He had four friends who uh, came in here to counsel him and to comfort him. But they were given some very bad advice. And some of that advice is written in the Bible. And uh, here's, here's an example. If people obey and serve the Lord, they will spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Is that true? Well, God says that's not true. So there's something in the Bible that you need to understand the context of it and so forth. But God wasn't, wasn't at all pleased with the counsel of these guys. And you find in Job 42, verse 7, the Lord said to Elpaz, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for you have not spoken of me the things that is right, as my ser jo uh, servant Job has. And of course, you know, the Lord blessed Job, and he had another family and great riches, and, and God took care of him. But Job was involved with a spiritual conflict, and uh, there's a lot to learn from all of that. Uh, the other thing that you might want to just be aware of Sometimes there are notes in our study Bibles. They're pretty good. I have a school for a reference Bible I've had since 1967. I hope I can sneak it into heaven because all my notes are there, you know. I love that Bible, but you can't believe every note that you read in these things. And uh, 
For instance, here, Eli. Where's Eli? Okay, Eli, I may need your help on this one. But uh, the scripture says, Behold now, behumeth, that's in the book of Job also, which I made with thee, he eats grass as an ox, he moves his tail like a cedar tree. Well, that's, that's a wonderful verse. However, the notes in my Bible say, perhaps this is a hippopotamus or an elephant. What do you think about that, Eli? Was that a hippopotamus or an elephant, behemoth? He'll tell you some long names that I can't even pronounce. But um, anyway, uh, it, I don't know if you've ever seen a hippopotamus or an elephant. Their tail is not like a cedar tree. And uh, if an elephant or a hippopotamus had a tail like a cedar tree, they'd look something like that. Uh, we believe that the scripture is talking about behemoth and, and Leviathan as ancient creatures that we don't see in today's world. And that's a different topic. I could spend a lot of time uh, talking about that because the Indians, they drew pictures all over the place and I got a bunch of those pictures. Uh, now we're moving to something in, in the biblical uh, format of things. And again, some of the notes that are in our Bible uh, can possibly lead us somewhat astray. So just be aware of uh, the notes are made by man, but the, the scripture is made by God. And I believe that every word from Genesis to Revelation is true. And you can trust it. But in Daniel chapter 7, we find a great mystery. Um, and uh, Daniel was a prophet, you know. He had a dream himself, and it was like a nightmare. And the interesting thing is that Dan, Daniel couldn't, pro, he couldn't interpret it. He was so confused. He had an angel uh, tell him what that, what that dream was all about. And Daniel had a gift of interpreting dreams, dreams from the Lord. And I think you may remember that Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, a powerful but a wicked man. And he had a nightmare. And, uh, and, and he said to all the people in his kingdom, those that were his counselors and advisors and magicians and astrologers and all that stuff, he said, if you will not make known unto me the dream, I can't even remember the dream, but it was terrible. If you cannot make known unto me the dream with the interpretation of it, you should be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a refuge heap. Uh, you need to put up or you're done. And, uh, and of course, all the astrologers said, no man could do that. You tell us what the dream is, we'll give you the interpretation. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar could see through that. Well, Daniel came along, and he said, I am not able to tell you what the dream was, but there is a God in heaven that, in, that interprets these dreams. And the God of heaven will show me what these are, things are all about. So this vision, this monstrous type thing that uh, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about had a head of gold, a chest of silver, its belly was made out of brass, legs were of iron, and then the toes were iron and clay. What in the world does that mean? Uh, the image in the, king, uh, in the king's dream was an outline of future Gentile world uh, nations that would conquer thousands and thousands of people. And of course, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, you're you're the head of gold. By the way, the Babylonian Empire was very powerful. Nebuchadnezzar was the head. And in some ways, it was uh, not truly a, a democracy, but uh, it had power over the people. But uh, every uh, kingdom that came, for instance, the Medes and the Persians, typified by the arms of silver and the chest, uh, became harsher with the people and controlled them and dominated them. 
And then there was the, uh, the belly of brass, which uh, spoke of Alexander the Great, which is Greece. And then the two legs of iron spoke of the Roman empires. And then finally, a revived Roman empire at the, at the end of time. Uh, so here's Daniel. He can interpret dreams. Now he had a, a nightmare, and he, he had a question mark. What does this mean? He didn't comprehend it. He didn't understand. And then uh, Daniel's nightmare, by the way, is about four end-time beasts that represent four end-time kingdoms. There was, it's kind of weird, but there was a lion that, that had wings that were plucked off. And then there was a bear that was lying on his side, not like this, but lying on his side. And, uh, and that, uh, in the scripture it says it had three ribs in its mouth. And it seemed to be coming out of hibernation. We're going to come back and talk about that one this morning. There's a lot of interest in today's world about what's going on with Russia. And, uh, and I, I want to address some of those things this morning. Because Christians need to know what's going on. Uh, and possibly the things that we're seeing are, are the end of fulfillment of some things that the scripture has talked about. But then there was a weird creature. It was a leopard. It had four heads, uh, like four kingdoms. The fourth right, if you will. And I'm not going to spend time on who that is. But then there was finally one that was a hideous monster. It had ten horns on it. And there's coming a day when the world will be conquered and controlled by a federation of ten nations. Three of them are going to be plucked up by the roots, so there's, there's some things happening down. But there is coming a day when the world, they're going to be a great attempt to make a one world government. And we're watching that, aren't we? We're seeing what's going on. Well, Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, behold, the four winds of the heaven were stirring up the great sea, and the four great, four great beasts, monsters, came up out of the sea, out of the sea of humanity, each different from the other. That's what he's talking about. In my Bible, they have an outline. And they say, well, this, these four beasts represent what Daniel interpreted before. Uh, Medo-Persia, uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and the Roman Empire. So most biblical scholars declare that those four beasts have nothing to do with today. They're just a repeat of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the four beasts. Merely, they represent Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, and, and Rome. Um, I began to feel some years ago, there's something wrong with that, with that interpretation and that understanding. And here's the reason why. First of all, the beast in Daniel's dream will exist during the end time days when the Son of Man comes in the clouds of heaven. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, you ought to take some time to read it, maybe this afternoon. It's a marvelous chapter, and it talks about the Ancient of Days, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 9 says, I watched till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and, and the, hair, the hair of his head was like pure wool. Verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. By the way, I believe those clouds are clouds of believers. Um, I think we're going to make up that group of clouds. Uh, a huge army seated on, on, on white horses with robes that are white. And if you don't know how to ride a horse, you better learn. You know, I think there's, there's horses in heaven. If there's horses, there's, there's got to be other animals. Dogs, perhaps. No cats. <laughs> <laughs> you have to break the news to your cats. 
They don't care. Verse 14. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away. Now that's Old Testament. That's not the book of Revelation. That's the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And in the context of that, he's talking about these four ugly monsters. Uh, well, the first thing is that those beasts are going to exist during the time that the Son of Man comes in power and great glory. But also, number two, the beasts represented end-time kingdoms that will lose their dominion, but they will continue until Christ returns. Uh, verse 12 said, As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, and yet their lives were prolonged for a season of time. So these are kingdoms that would arise, and some of them would diminish, but they're going to, but they're going to exist, but they would just lose some of their power. Uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and ancient Rome, they've been gone for thousands of years. This scripture cannot be referring to Babylon and Medo-Persia, Greece, and, and, uh, and Rome. Well, number three, Daniel was grieved and deeply troubled. I mean, he couldn't understand the dream, and it was like depression fell on him. He was just overwhelmed with, with this dream. If this, had been, if this had been what he had seen before, it wouldn't have bothered him. He would have understood. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, in the midst of my body, and the vision of my head troubled me. Daniel would not have been troubled if his vision was just about King Nebuchadnezzar and the dream that he had interpreted some years before. Daniel was so confused by this that he asked an angel to interpret it for him, and we read in verse 15 and 16, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the vision of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So an angel told him what this is all about. And then number five, the four beasts foretold four future kingdoms yet to come. Uh, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings that shall arise future out of the earth. And Daniel's vision was given nearly the time of the end of the Babylonian Empire. So uh, Daniel's vision could not have been about Babylon because Babylon now was about to bite the dust and be gone. And so we believe that these things are... Uh, are speaking of, of future events. The first one, I'm just going to spend a little time with this, and then I want to have you open your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, if you'd like to look ahead. But Daniel said in, in chapter 7, verse 4, he said the first was like a lion. It had eagle's wings, and I beheld so the wings were plucked or cut off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. This, this beast would lose its, uh, its beast-like character of devouring people and nations. It would no longer be a worldwide kingdom. And no longer have the heart of a conquering beast. And uh, the lion with eagle's wings that were plucked up. And of course, the notes in my Bible say that's Babylon. Um, we think instead that it's probably a picture of the British Empire. And I don't know if you knew this. If you go to London, you will find images of a lion with eagle's wings. And this particular one with its paw on the globe. Uh, there was a time when the British Empire controlled the world, pretty much. Uh, what was the saying they used to have? The sun never goes down upon the British Empire. Well, you know, the British Empire is no more. Uh, it was just, I think, within the last couple of years, their parliament 
they passed a resolution and they said the worldwide British Empire is no more. It will never come back. And uh, they're a strong empire, but they're not a worldwide empire like they were. And so everywhere you find with the, uh, within the British royalty, you find uh, these lions, sometimes with, with wings. Uh, the lion with eagle's wings plucked off, could it be speaking of the American Revolution? I don't know. But uh, the kingdom, though diminished in size and influence, would survive until the Ancient of Days returns, but its power is gone. So when people say America is not in the Bible, well, it's not. If you look in your concordance, you won't find America or the U.S. But you wonder about these eagle's wings cut off. Is that if that's speaking of an anti nation like uh, the British uh, uh, kingdom and so forth? It could be. Well, the British Empire began to crumble with the eagle's wings being plucked off in 1776. But our focus this morning is on this bear with three ribs in its mouth. Uh, that is very, very interesting. And here's what you find in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 5. Behold another beast, a second, like a bear. It raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth uh, between its teeth. And they said unto it, Arise and devour much flesh. That's really fascinating. You know, I've been saying for 20 years, uh, Russia's not done yet. <laughs> uh, we, we visited Russia a couple times in the 90s after, after Perestroika and after, after the uh, Soviet Empire uh, came apart. But I thought to myself when I was in Moscow and St. Petersburg and so forth, these people are not done yet because the Bible talks about them. And uh, there's something we should be aware of about them, not living in fear, <laughs> but there are some things that we should be aware of. And it would seem like it's a hungry bear that comes out of hibernation, very, very hungry becomes very aggressive. Uh, by the way, it's quite fascinating, um, uh, this bear with three ribs. Uh, during the years of the USSR, they had three votes in the United Nations. It was Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine. Uh, three votes. And is that speaking of the three ribs? I don't know. But there's some striking similarities. Quite interesting. And for the past 30 years, Russia has really been in hibernation. Uh, they have even declared some forms of democracy and McDonald's goes there and Burger King and some of these, uh, I think you can get Taco Bell and so forth in, in Moscow, they're leaving now. But it's like Russia has been in, in hibernation all these years. But the scriptures have a lot more to say about that. And so we, you just can't help but wonder, is Russia now beginning to wake up and, and come out of hibernation with a very aggressive spirit? I want to just say to you today that it's not the Russian people that are the aggressors. Same way in our country. Our country is going pretty liberal, crazy, as you know. And it's not the, it's not the people out in Beecher. And it's not most of the people in Colorado. It's the, it's the liberals that have come into Denver or Boulder County, right? But, um, but some things are going on. And you know, some of the soldiers that, are, that have invaded Ukraine they don't want to be there. And some of them are believers. And some of them are, are uh, sabotaging their equipment and running and, and, and surrendering to, to the Ukrainians. Uh, this, is, this is a war that's led by, by the, the Russian Communist Party. Well, anyway, uh, it seems like the Russian bear has become 
very aggressive, and here's, here's a cartoon. It was in the paper, I put the little swastika stick on it, but, uh, you know, here's the president, our president, with a pop gun. You know, hang tough. And uh, Russia's coming against a little Ukraine. But I tell you, the ultimate target is not Ukraine. I don't know how far they're going to go, but the ultimate target is the land of Israel. And so as they are invading with all of their equipment and so forth, the road is really leading to Israel. And uh, in fact, it's quite fascinating that Russia already has, in our absence, they already have a large military force in Syria, which of course, if you know, is on the other side of the Golan Heights and it's right next to, it's right next to Israel. The Bible talks about a battle, it's called the Battle of Gog and Magog. And that's where I would like you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. And there's some, fascinating things that that you just need to understand there uh, because the uh, what you see in today's world this is not the last chapter okay uh, the Lord has got some things that he's got to say about about all of this that's going on and so Ezekiel chapters 38 39 now understand that I, I put things up here for th those of you that don't want to hustle and try to keep up with me and so I, I I portray the, uh, the, the verses for you. But you'll find in the first two verses these words, Ezekiel chapter 38, the word of the Lord came unto me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Gog of the land of Magog. Who in the world's that? Well, Noah had a grandson by the name of Magog. And uh, history tells us that as people began to disperse all over the world, that Magog, uh, he settled the land north of the Black Sea. And so Bible commentators and most scholars will tell you, Gog is the, is the, uh, is the ruler of a country called Magog. And it's referring to Russia. Nobody seems to dispute that. But God says, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, uh, chief Prince is uh, the word Rosh, uh, and many believe that is speaking perhaps of Russia. Don't know about that. Meshach, could it be speaking about Moscow and Tubal? Is that Tubalsk? I don't know. Uh, those those things can be can be guesses that that scholars make. But the interesting thing is that God says in this passage, He says, uh, "Thus says the Lord God: Behold, I am against thee, O Gog." of the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Uh, what do you think God thinks about what's going on in Ukraine today? I'll tell you what he thinks. He's against aggressors who want to take away people's freedoms, who go in and indiscriminately kill. And, uh, and, and when he comes against the land of Israel, something else is going to happen. It's pretty fascinating. But the Lord says, I am against thee, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I was thinking of, I wouldn't want that written about me. I'm against you, Chuck. <laughs> David, a man after God's own heart, uh, he said in Psalm 56, verse 9, this I know that God is what? For me. By the way, you may be here this morning and maybe, maybe you're going through trials and difficulties and you wonder why is this happening? Is God for me? I know Job could have asked that question. Uh, Job, Job, his response to losing everything was the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's amazing faith. 
I'm not sure I'm there, you know. I've had times where, you know, God, what's going on? You know, I don't need this. You heard about the teenager who you said, if God loves me, why can't I open my wallet at school, you know? I forgot the combination or whatever. But the fact is, God is for us. And we read in Romans 8, 28, 29, uh, uh, wonderful verse that we all memorize, and I just had a moment where uh, we know that all things work together. Thank you, Joelle. She's my prompter. You know. uh, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. By the way, for whom He did foreknow, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And I believe that every born-again Christian has been called of God to bear the image of Christ. But God is for us. He has a purpose and a plan, no matter how difficult life may be. Why would God say that he was against Gog, the land of Magog? Well, I go back and I think about Genesis chapter, chapter 12, where God was speaking to Abraham. He said, I will bless them that bless thee. But Abraham, I will curse them that curse you. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. Uh, most of you saw the movie Fiddler on the Roof. A delightful movie. Wonderful. But you know, the second half was about the persecution where they had to eventually leave that Russia or Ukraine, wherever they were. That has gone on. I, I didn't know this until recently, but Russian communism has executed between 50 and 100 million people. Many of them were Jews. And uh, they have been persecutors. And uh, they have allowed uh, some Christianity to go on and so forth, but now it's under a careful scrutiny and and uh, the open window seems to be closing in, in many parts of Russia. But uh, there's a reason that God says, I'm against you, Gog of Magog. And then he says, I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth. And all your army, horses, horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. God is going to put a hook in their mouth and and bring the people, the armies of Israel, against against his land. Any fishermen here? You guys fish? Um, have any of you ever gone to Alaska and fished for salmon? Have you done that? That's fun, isn't it? Well, I, uh, I don't know what year it was, some years ago, 20 years ago, Joel and I went up there and we preached at a little Baptist church in Soldatna for two Sundays. And we went all over all over Alaska. I had a wonderful time. The sky was clear. We could see the big mountain and all that. But the guys in the church, it was late August, and they showed me how to how to fish for these salmon down on the uh, Kenai River. And uh, I bought a special pole because a fly, a fly rod don't cut it. I mean, these fish are they're, they're fighters. They're going up the stream. In fact, there's so many of them. Uh, when you throw that thing out there, and you, you're actually snagging them. And there's so many that you'll get them often by the, by the mouth. But I snagged something, apparently, in the back. And they said, that must be a silver salmon. And it went straight across that river. That river is probably over 100 yards wide. And there was no turning it back. I kept tightening that thing and trying to pull it back. It finally kind of sprung that hook out, and it, it, it got out. But if I had gotten it in the mouth, I could have turned it. But if you snag it on the back, it's going to 
It's gone. You know, you can't get them back. And God says, I will put hooks into thy jaws. When Israel someday will be attacked by, by uh, Russia and a huge mob of Arab soldiers, this will be of God's doing. You understand that? God says, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and I'm going to bring you down to the place of judgment. And uh, thou shalt come against my people of Israel like a cloud to cover the land. And it shall be in the latter days that I will bring thee against my land. I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. You wonder, what's this all about? I believe that the Lord is going to drag Russia to the place of divine judgment. It's on the border of Israel. Uh, God is going to do something with this army that invades. And, uh, and we will conclude in a few minutes. You'll see that his purpose is that, that the nations will know that I am the Lord. Right now, we live in a nation that doesn't recognize that the Lord is, is God. And so we can, we can live in perversion and we can kill our babies. God help us. The recent legislation about not only killing babies in the womb, but even after they're born. You know, why we allow that to happen, I, I just don't know. Remember, the scripture says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But a hook in the jaw, the Lord is going to do this. And he tells us the nations that will come with it. Persia, Cush, and Put with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer, and all of his hordes, the house of Tokarma of the north quarters, and his hordes, many peoples with him. Uh, Russia will lead a huge army of Arab soldiers against Israel. And it's fascinating to me that the ancient kingdom of Persia is really made up of Afghanistan and Iran. And you know, uh, Afghanistan, the things that have happened there just recently, that's fascinating. God forbid that we left God-fearing people there. And there are many stories about, about the Arabs coming in and, and can't even see the Bibles that are on the table or whatever. God is protecting many of his people, but it's disgraceful how we pulled out and left and abandoned those people. But it's interesting to me that Afghanistan, Afghanistan will apparently be under Muslim control when it joins the raid against Israel. So the Lord has allowed that to happen. Uh, we were trying to plant democracy in Afghanistan. I'll tell you where, the, where they don't have the Christian Judeo ethic. Democracy doesn't work. Uh, the only thing those people understand is the end of a gun. And that's, that's what you're finding in Afghanistan today. Anyway, it's fascinating that Persia is uh, one of the countries one of the kingdoms that's going to come with Russia. It'll include Iran and Afghanistan. Cush and Put, we recognize as Ethiopia, Libya. Gomer, I used to think that must be Germany, it's not. Uh, is Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan. What's that last one? Anybody else can help me with the pronunciation? Thank you. <laughs> it's tough. And Togarma, which is, which is Turkey. Uh, the Arab hordes, of course, will come because of, of intense hatred for the people of Israel. But Russia will come for a great spoil, according to the scripture. In verses 9 and 12, Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy hordes, and many peoples with thee to take a great spoil. By the way, the, the word storm is talking about a devastating and violent tempest. 
you're going to come like a storm and cover the land. And uh, those are future days. And uh, people of Israel need to know this. Um, but those, those are days, and the day is coming. Uh, where are we today with Russia? I, honestly, I can't tell you. Is Russia going to succeed in, in, uh, in Ukraine? Will they go on to other NATO countries uh, like Finland and Estonia? I couldn't tell you. But God specifically talks about this bear coming alive and becoming very hungry. And it's headed on the road to Israel. And that's where God's going to intervene in a marvelous way. Well, the invading army will come from the north, according to the scripture. Uh, this chapter is really very, very uh, informative. Thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many peoples with thee, a great company, a mighty army. And it shall come to pass at the same time when God shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. And so I've had people ask the question, is that referring to nuclear weapons? Could be something that would shake the, the country. And does that mean Jerusalem and Tel Aviv uh, might experience nuclear destruction? I don't think so. Uh, remember that God gave Israel all the land from the Nile River in Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River. He says that in several passages. He said that to Abraham. Uh, he also, uh, here's Abraham, uh, the promise in chapter 15, verse 18. To your descendants have I given the land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. That means uh, all of the land across Iraq, Jordan. Uh, all the way up to the Euphrates River. That was under under the authority of David and Solomon, by the way. Uh, they occupied and controlled all that land. And that's the land God had said to them, I think in Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given unto you, as I have said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the great river Euphrates. I think that the battle that this is talking about is not going to happen in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv. I think it's going to happen out in the deserts. And uh, when that army gathers and, and begins to try to cross the Jordan River, things are going to happen. Now here's something really, really fascinating. Uh, the scripture tells us that someday the city of Damascus, Syria, will be totally destroyed. It's pretty fascinating. It's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 17. You can, uh, sorry I didn't have notes to, to give out to you, but um, I have these things on the website, and you can look up the documentation later if you want. But uh, in, in, in chapter 17, verse 1, he says, Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city. It will become a ruinous heap. Listen to this. At evening there is trouble, and before morning it is not. This is talking about Damascus. Uh, by the way, that's where the Russians have now come. Uh, they're in Syria. And I, I try to figure out what's going on there? Why would Damascus be nuked and be destroyed overnight? Is it because Iran is going to get a, a nuclear weapon and they're going to bring weapons of mass destruction? I will tell you this, Israel will defend themselves. Whatever it takes, they will defend themselves. Uh, they have to because their very existence is at stake. And uh, we don't know just what's going to cause that, but that could be the thing that would unify the Arab nations that usually are fighting each other. They're going to come together and say, we've got to get rid of Israel. 
and uh, that, that may be. I'm just that's some uh, um, presupposition on my part. But we ask the question: Will Israel one itself have to uh, one day have to attack Syria in order to protect her people? Maybe so. But he tells us the scope of this battle of Gog and Magog. Uh, notice what he says in verse 20: So that the fish of the sea, and the fowls of heaven, and the beasts of the field, and all creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all men that are upon the face of the earth, shall shake in my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down. And the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. Uh, this is this is serious stuff. It's not going to be something that just takes place out in the desert, but it's going to be something that's even going to affect the fish of the sea. Um, I just put out an article, some of you have already received it, but in 2017, Comey, who was head of the FBI, issued a warning to, uh, to the Senate. He said, Russia is becoming the greatest threat for world peace, and our greatest threat. And on that very same day in 2017, there was a, a, a Russian army officer that had defected and come to America, and he said, while we're working on missiles and tanks and weapons and all that, the Russians are quietly uh, planting something that they referred to as uh, nuclear moles. That means something that's put down in the ocean, um, 50 miles off our shores, uh, that if they ever blow those things up, it cause tsunami waves that will come in. Well, I'm not going to go there this morning, but the scripture even talks about that. And Jesus even talked about a day when men's hearts would fail them for fear and for the waves roaring. That's right in the book of Luke. It's there. And uh, so we're living in incredible days. Now, before I go any further, this should not create fear in anybody's heart that knows the Lord is Savior. Uh, I don't believe this is Armageddon. I believe this takes place at the first part of the tribulation, the battle of Gog and Magog. If you're born again, uh, Jesus said he would take us out of here like a thief in the what? Night. Thief in the night. Maybe the darkest night of human history. Uh, if, if a nuclear holocaust took place during the time of the rapture, nobody would know or care. <laughs> you know, Christians are gone. Who cares? You know, New York's been destroyed or, or all these different cities. Who knows? Well, in Ezekiel, going back there, verse 21, I will call for a sword against God throughout all, all my mouth, says the Lord. Every man's sword will be against his, his brother. And it actually makes me think of the battle that you read about in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, there were, uh, Israel had its, at its disposal at the time, King Jehoshaphat. He had approximately a million soldiers he could call upon to gather and defend Jerusalem. But there was an army that was coming up against them that was coming so quick and it was so large that they couldn't get their forces together. They had no defense. And you remember the passage. They went out and when they began to sing and to worship the Lord, the Lord said confusion and it was every man against himself and they destroyed each other. I think the same thing is going to happen again. Uh, invading armies may turn against one another for a great slaughter like in the days of Jehoshaphat. Um, then God says, I will rain down on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone, like the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, in 2006, uh, three other men and I went over to Israel. A lady from our church in Denver had sent us, Joel and me, 
2005, Ruth said, you've got to see Israel. And we went and had a marvelous time. But there were some things that they didn't cover very much. And uh, when we were at Masada, how many of you have been to Israel? Uh, when you're up on Masada, if you look down, you see some things. And I won't spend a lot of time, but the cliffs are white instead of the brown limestone. I asked, where's Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, we don't even know if that happened. I mean, that was kind of the response that we got from the Israeli guy. So we went back there and went back to the, the foot of Masada, went back into the canyons, and we found a bucket full of, of sulfur pellets. You break them open, and there's sulfur inside. You put a match on them, they stink. And I have those at home. And uh, when I was there, I just thought, boy, this is a place that God brought terrible judgment upon. This happened. The Sodom and Gomorrah stuff is real. And what's going to happen to uh, the armies of Russia is also going to be very real. Well, he says, I will turn thee back and I'll leave. But the sixth part of thee means that five out of six of the soldiers of this invading army will be destroyed as they attempt to invade the land of Israel. And he says, and this is pretty sober, but he said in chapter 39, verse 6, I will send a fire on Magog, that's the homeland, and among those who dwell safely in the coastlands. And they, safely in the coastlands, can be interpreted beyond the sea. Uh, is that us? I don't know. I don't live in fear because I believe in the rapture. And besides, absent from the body is present with the Lord. I told Adam the other day, if something like that happened, uh, you know, I live just 27 miles from ground zero, and I'd, be, I'd rather go quickly than to be out here and have to suffer radiation burns and hunger and, and nuclear winter and all this junk that would go on with it. But our hope is in the Lord. Now I speak these things. I know there's a lot of young ears here today. I want you to know that there is absolute safety in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the only place I know about hiding. You can dig a hole if you want to. And there's nothing wrong with a little preparation. Take care of yourself. And I told Grandma Judy, Judy, get that generator so you can at least run like water out of your well, you know. Take care of each other if something happens, you know. We don't know. Take care of each other. That's what we're supposed to do. But uh, these things are, are coming upon the earth. The Lord will destroy the homeland of God and another unnamed nation. So why did the Lord even bother to tell us all this awful description that you find in Ezekiel? It's not to be ignored. Uh, you don't have to dwell on it to where it keeps you awake at night. But God wants us to know that, that those days are coming. Why does He want us to know? Listen to these verses. I will bring against my land, and the nations may know me when I shall have sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. They shall know that I am the Lord. Is that what it's going to take for the world to recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord? Uh, he's going to do some stuff in the future. And by the way, just oh, can't go there this morning, but the terrible time of in the book of Revelation about the, the future tribulation, do you know that during that time there will be a multitude that no man can number that will place their faith in, in Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ? They're not part of the church. We're with the Lord. Marriage, feast of the Lamb, and all that. We're with the Lord. But during the tribulation, there will be a great multitude that no man can number. 
So the Lord doesn't waste uh, the terror of man and the things that go on. Uh, he is Lord and he's going to be known. This battle of Gog and Magog is not the battle of Armageddon. I don't believe at all. It takes seven months to bury all the dead, seven years to burn the instruments of warfare, to clean up the land. Uh, you find those verses in Ezekiel. So what should our response be to the knowledge that God has given us about these future events? First of all, look up. Our hope is in the Lord. We need to, uh, if you watch Fox News, be sure to do it with a Bible in one hand. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you watch a bad news on TV or if you, if you uh, subscribe to stuff, just realize our hope our hope has never been in government. Our hope has never been in man. Our hope is in the Lord. He is our hope. John 14, 1 to 3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be. Uh, folks, if your hope is in only in a good crop or money in the bank or whatever it may be. I know it's no longer in the government. <laughs> but wherever your hope may be, it needs to be in the Lord. He is our hope. And then faith that the Lord knows. He controls all that's going on. One of the names of the Lord that I love is the name El Elyon. It means the God who rules. He is still on the throne. Uh, he's allowing things to happen. He's allowing sin to take its course on planet Earth. But he, he rules and He reigns. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And He's coming for us, I believe, one day very soon. And then pray for those that are lost. Um, people sometimes wonder, why do I have such a passion to reach out to the Navajo people or people in general? Because they know what's waiting for them. Uh, I, I walked around Masada at the foot of it, realized this is Gomorrah, and the smell of sulfur. There weren't even bugs on the ground, nothing growing, a place of destruction. It made a, a tremendous impact upon me, and it's given me a tremendous burden for people that just need to hear the gospel. I can't win it, I can't convert anybody, neither can you. It's the Spirit of God. But He uses the Word of God. And our job is to get the word out. And uh, Adam, I'm so excited about the potential of reaching out to Eastern Colorado. May God supply and give you grace, and, and not only teens, but adults that will work with you, and just getting the word out. You know, you, you find, you, you can take these Discovery newspapers and they can go to every house in the county for 20 cents. It was 17, now it's 20. And, uh, or you can stick stuff in the newspaper that will get attention. But our, our job is to get the gospel out. That's why God has left us here. He will do the converting if we will simply do our job. So keep your eyes on Israel. Uh, might want to watch Russia. This is interesting. I'm watching it with much fascination but horror and praying for the victims. But keep looking for Jesus' return. Amen? That's what we need to do. You've never humbled yourself before God and called upon Him to save you. I would encourage you. You're amongst friends this morning. You don't know how much time you have. 
teenage, 16 year old daughter take it just in a moment's time? Adam was talking about that. We don't know how much time we have. If you never called on the Lord Jesus, a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be saved or go to heaven to live with you, but I believe you died in my place and I ask you to save me. That's what it takes. It's that simple. A child can understand it, but a child must receive it. And if you've never done that, today would be a good day. Do we bow our heads just for a few minutes? And my concern for you is it's possible to go to a wonderful church where the music's great and the fellowship is even greater and you hear the message week after week. It's possible to come to a church and be totally lost and never receive Christ. And I would call upon you this morning in the quietness of your own heart simply say, Lord Jesus, I'm lost. I need to be saved. You died on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin. I believe that. And today I want to ask you to be my Savior. Well, our heads are bowed. I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, there's a battle going on in your heart right now. And I would just encourage you, you can raise your hand very quietly. Nobody's going to make a spectacle of you or embarrass you. I know the night that I was saved on my 16th birthday, I was challenged, raise your hand if you need to pray and accept Christ. And I fought that. And it was the last night of some meetings for teenagers. And I thought, you know what? If I don't do it today, I may never have a chance. Boom, my arm went up. That was the moment I surrendered to Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you need to trust Christ as your Savior this morning, it isn't just raising your hand. It's lifting your heart to God and saying, Jesus, save me. But is there somebody that needs to do that this morning? A teenager, maybe? A young person? Don't leave here without Christ. Time may be short. Today is the day of salvation. Anybody this morning? Okay. Amen. Just a couple more things if you look up. If you've not been praying for your lost friends, neighbors, or loved ones, can I encourage you to do it now? Begin to pray for them. And if you've not been sharing the message of the gospel, somehow find, find a way to do it. Find some way, whether it's in a Christmas card or whatever, but uh, the Lord has committed to us the message of the gospel. And we need to do our part. Um, I know our time is gone, but if you have questions or, or uh, discussion points and want to see us afterwards, um, you need to understand my motive in sharing this this morning is not to terrify or depress. But there are things going on in our world, right? There are things that are happening. And uh, our, our government and our world is headed for a one-world system. It's ungodly. It's evil. But our hope is in the Lord. Amen. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine, but I do know what's going to happen on the shore, of, on the border of Israel. <laughs> and God is going to, he's going to work in such a way that people will know that he is the Lord. Adam, why don't you come and dismiss us in prayer? Would you do that today? We love coming out here, by the way. And I hope that this message today hasn't spooked you off from ever having me back. Jeff will be here next week. Um, he wanted to come both weeks, but I wouldn't let him. Okay.
that's interesting. How do you turn this on? It's on the bottom. Push the button. On the bottom. Look at that. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe the music team can come up while I, I kind of close this out here real quick. It's not on. Oh, we're not going to do that? Okay. Is it on? Not really. Okay. Hey, you know what? Eli, can you come up here with me real quick? So, uh, I promised Eli I would do this this morning during announcements, and I totally forgot. So, I'm going to do it. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, I'm going to do it now. So, uh, Eli here, you guys probably, most of you know, uh, because he has been unapologetic at letting you all know that he loves dinosaurs, okay? And he loves researching dinosaurs and how dinosaurs fit in with the Bible, and he decided he wanted to start his own podcast talking about the truth about dinosaurs for kids. So we did that, and he asked Matt Miles to be his co-host for his first eight episodes from Matt Miles from Creation Truth Foundation. So they did. They recorded a bunch of podcast episodes talking about dinosaurs. Yep, Chuck listened to it. So uh, there, if you guys, if you listen to podcasts, whatever podcast player you use, it should be there. You just look up the Truth About Dinosaurs podcast. It's like this bright blue and yellow thing with a T-Rex. Uh, on the front. Uh, there's four episodes on there now, and we're going to keep going and put uh, new ones out each week. So I um, want to let you know about that. If you don't know what a podcast is, then just go to truthaboutdinos.com, and you'll find it there. So um, anything, else, anything else you wanted to add about it? No. I get the Good job. Okay. Um, all right, let's, let's close in prayer. Father God, I, uh, I just thank you for today. I thank you that we can lift up your word today and that we can uh, just uh, get to know you better. And Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, it is true and it is accurate. And Lord, that we can use it as a uh, foundation for uh, not only our understanding of you and who you are, but also that it is history. And Lord, we just uh, we thank you uh, for your word. But most of all, we thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. And Lord, I'm just humbled uh, that you uh, would love a wretch like me, that you would do such a thing, that you would pour out uh, your, your own blood for my sins. And God, I just thank you for that. I thank you that uh, um, you've given us your word to just give us hope. And, and uh, even in the things that we have studied today, the, the, the things of the future that may be scary, that we know because we have you and you are in us because we abide in you, that we have a hope for the future and we don't have to live in fear. And Lord, we just we place all of that upon you. God, we, uh, we uh, um, just pray that your message would be amplified to others. Lord, we pray that you would use every single one of us to, to do that and to be... Uh, a builder of your kingdom and, and bring others to you. God, we, uh, uh, it's awesome to think that we have a mansion in your kingdom that you have our name on and all we have to do is accept that free gift. And God, we just thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, words can't, can't even put into, uh, uh, can't even say just how grateful I am for your love, your kindness, your grace, and your forgiveness. God, I just pray that you would uplift everybody here as we depart today. Thank you um, for this time and fellowship together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.